There was a, a priest who sees a, a few children playing with a dog. So the priest thought that the children were going to hurt the dog. So the priest goes over and he says, what are you guys doing with the dog? So the children say to the priest, well, we found this dog here and we don't know who should get to keep it. And we decided that whoever says the biggest lie is the one who's going to get to keep the dog. So the priest says, goes into a whole tirade about how terrible lying is and lying is so bad and terrible. And in the middle of his tirade, he says, when I was your age, I never said one lie. And one boy looks down sheepishly and he's like, he won. <laughs> he gets the dog. This rabbi begins his sermon and he says, last week, I asked everyone to prepare for the sermon this week and to learn chapter 51 in Beratius. Has anyone done their homework? And a couple people, big smiles, like, yeah, we did it. Rabbi's like, there is no chapter 51 in Beratius. Now let's talk about honesty. So the subject of honesty, this week's Torah portion, seems to be a little incongruous because this Torah portion talks about the opposite of honesty. Yaakov discovers that his father is going to give a bracha to his older brother Esav, and his mother Rivka says to him that that blessing is meant for you, you have to get that blessing, you bought the firstborn right from your brother, and she tells him, as he as he was afraid, maybe my father will feel me, and he'll know that I, you know, Yitzhak was blind, but maybe he'll feel my skin, and he'll realize that I am not, uh, I am not Esav. So she says, "Don't worry, my son. Upon me will be the curse. If your, if your father will, God forbid, curse you instead of blessing you, I will accept the curse upon myself. Please listen to me. Go. I and she, she had Esav's clothing. Go wear this clothing." And Yaakov puts on the clothing, and he goes to Yitzchak. And as Yaakov predicted, Yaakov, Yitzchak right away realizes this is not doesn't sound like the same guy um, for a couple of reasons. Number one is that uh, you know their voices were similar, but um, Yitzchak was used to the way Esau would speak. Esau would used to say, um, "Get up, Dad," whereas Yaakov spoke very respectfully. Um, Yaakov said. When he brought the food to Yitzhak, he said, God help me find the food for my free my father. So since he mentioned Hashem's name, it was also unusual. So Yitzchak was wondering who this was. And then he tells Yaakov to come closer and he feels Yaakov and he says famously, the voice is the voice of Yaakov and the hands are the hands of Esau. And he gives Yaakov the blessing and everything is... Um, well, until Esau comes, and Esau is like, hey, one second, that blessing was meant for me, what's going on? And Yaakov gives Esau a blessing too, and um, that's the story in the Torah portion this week, more or less. The question is, what is the point of this of this um, story? It sounds like the Torah wants to tell us, everything in the Torah is a lesson, the word Torah means lesson, that we're supposed to be dishonest. They were supposed to learn from Yaakov that you got to be dishonest, right? That's what Yaakov did to get the blessing. He was dishonest. So, more, um, Yitzchak 
doesn't seem to be um, uh, angry at the end when he gives Yaakov the blessing and he discovers that it wasn't Esav. He said, tells Esav he will also be blessed. Rivka could have told Yitzchak, hey, this guy does not deserve the blessing. You've got to give it to Yaakov. Yaakov bought the firstborn right and Yaakov was a righteous. What's going on over here? There's, there's obviously more to the story than meets the eye. So there are many, many different explanations of the story. But let's look at one which I think is very relevant to us in our service of Hashem. Um, there's a teaching in the Zohar. The word Zohar means to shine, to give light. And the Zohar illuminates the story uh, from the perspective of, of reincarnation. The Zohar says that when a person comes to this world, they have a mission to fulfill. And if they don't fulfill the mission, then they have to return to the world. And they have to be reincarnated. Sometimes a soul is reincarnated because it missed one mitzvah. And that mitzvah is fulfilled in the second reincarnation. Um, so here also, the Zohar says this whole story is a result of souls that came to the world before and then fulfilled their mission. As Darizal explains that Adam and Eve and the snake, they all did something that wasn't the best. Adam ate from the tree, was supposed to eat from the tree. And um, Eve gave Adam the fruit, and the snake seduced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree. So because because they ate from the tree and they didn't do the right thing, therefore they had to be reincarnated. So who were they reincarnated in? So the Torah says, the Zohar says, Shufrei the Yaakov me'ain the Shufrei the Adam The beauty of Yaakov, Yaakov's face wasn't just physically beautiful, but there was a radiant, godly light that shone from his face. His, the light in his face was similar to the light of Adam. But if you look at the word shufri more carefully, shufri also means to better, to enhance. When Yaakov was born, his, he was given the soul of Adam. He was meant to be, to rectify the mistake of Adam. And Rivka, she was a reincarnation of Eve, and she was meant to rectify the mistake of Eve. And Esau was reincarnation of the snake. And did too well in both reincarnations. So, so the, the story is this. The deeper story is this. When Rivka tells Yaakov, I want you to go to your father and ask for a blessing, and I want you to wear the clothing of Esau, and if something happens, the curse will be on me. The curse she was referring to was the curse that Adam and Eve were given after the sin of the tree of knowledge. And she was saying, because of this curse, because of what happened in a negative way through the trickery of the snake, therefore there, this, this, new, this new event has to happen to rectify that. So before we understand this new event, let's go a little bit into the snake. The, I, I said the snake did trickery. How did the snake do trickery? First of all, the snake, as evil inclination within us, is like the snake. The snake said to Adam and Eve, God, said to Eve, God said you can't eat from any tree? It's like today, on Shabbos you can't do anything on Shabbos? Like that's the voice of the evil inclination. You're not allowed to do certain things on Shabbos, it makes the whole thing look bad. You can't do anything on Shabbos? Similar way, the... Um, the snake said to Eve, oh, God said you can't eat from any tree. And then he added more lies. He said, 
oh, you're not allowed to touch the tree, and he pushed Eve against the tree, and he said, oh, you've seen, you don't die if you touch the tree. So that's how he seduced Eve. He was total, he was full of lies. So to rectify the sin of the tree of knowledge, there was also deceit in this story as well. And there's two reasons for this. That's, there's a simple reason, there's a deeper reason. But before we get to the two reasons, I just want to add something to the story that, that's just fascinating. Adam had a special garment that he wore after the sin of the tree of knowledge, kosnos or, which was the garment of the priesthood, of the kohuna. Before the sin of the golden calf, the priesthood was given to the firstborn. So Adam had the garments of the priesthood, the kohuna. Those garments he gave to his child, and who gave to Noah, and Noah bequeathed them to Avraham, and Avraham gave them to Yitzchak, and Yitzchak gave them to his progeny, to Esav. Esav had the, had the clothing of Adam. So that day, yeah. Did he steal them from... Uh, That's the different midrashim. This is one, one, one interpretation. The other, 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 all true, all true, but this is one interpretation. This was the, the, the garments of the priesthood. So on the day that he went hunting, he forgot, by divine providence, his special garment of Adam. Rivka gives him, Rivka, who is Eve, gives Yaakov, who is the reincarnation of Adam, the clothing of Adam. She gives him back the clothing of Adam. And what happens? He goes and he gets a blessing. The blessing he receives is, is rectification for the curses that he received in the previous incarnation. In the previous incarnation, what did God tell Adam and Eve? That from now on you're going to eat When you plant seeds, you'll not you'll you'll work by the sweat of your brow, and you're going to have thorns and and brussels, and it, it's not going to be simple. Here, what's the blessing that Yitzchak gives to Yaakov? He blesses him, you'll have plenty. He blesses him that the people will serve you. He blesses him that you won't have to work so hard. He blesses him that things will, will, will work, things will be easy. So it, he's giving him the exact blessings that the previous incarnation Jacob was, Yaakov was cursed with. So we see clearly how in this incarnation, what's happening is that there's a rectification of what happened in the previous one. So, so here's the amazing thing. This guy, not, not a true story, and maybe we shouldn't make jokes about suicide because suicide is unfortunately way too real. But I want to bring out a point. This guy is standing on a rooftop and he's uh, threatening to jump off, and they bring helicopters and megaphones and the psychologists, and they try to convince the guy to go down and his friends, and they can't convince the guy. The guy is standing on this on top of this 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 uh, tall building, and they can't convince him to get off. Finally, one insane person comes over and he takes out a razor. He says, "If you don't get off that building right now, I'm going to raise, I'm going to shave the building and give a haircut to the building, and the whole thing's going to come down like, like a deck of cards. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and he comes down. You, you speak the language of, of the insane. There was a famous um, story in the time of the Marash of one of his chassidim who was a little bit insane. And he had an offer from a fellow insane friend in Minsk. And his friend in Minsk, as you know, Minsk is a bigger city. Lubavitch is a small city. Why would you want to leave? Why would you want to be in this small city? Why don't you, let's be, we'll both be Meshuggah together. Why do you want to be, you know, Meshuggah over here by yourself in this small little town? Go to Minsk and we'll be Meshuggah together. It was a tempting offer, you know what to do, but as a, as a devoted chassid, he wanted to ask his Rebbe, the Marash, but how could, a, how could this insane person get an audience there, Marash? 
So Eben and Ash would go out, go out often on, out into the uh, fields on a, uh, on a um, carriage drawn by horses, and he jumped onto the carriage. And before anyone could stop him, he had a conversation with Eben Ash, and they, they yanked him off the carriage eventually. They said to him, what's going on? What did you ask the Rebbe? He said, I asked the Rebbe if I should leave. And the Rebbe, what did the Rebbe say? The Rebbe said, you don't leave, you don't leave Lubavitch. You shouldn't leave Lubavitch. I, I, I remember hearing one version of the story that he said, here you have a monopoly, there you have to share the monopoly. Um, but either way, it may be a big city, you have a monopoly. But he also said, to him, you don't leave Lubavitch. But then the, the Hasidim said, but you're out of your mind. What are you doing talking to the Rebbe? He says, I may be out of my mind, maybe Meshuggah. Meshuggah, Meshuggah, you need to have Seichel, you need to have intelligence. <laughs> so he had his version of intelligence. So a similar way, there is there were lies in the story of Adam and Eve, and their rectification is also through something dishonest, but it's much deeper than that. That's one level. That's one layer. Let's go deeper. What's the meaning, what's the difference between the dishonesty of the snake and the dishonesty of Rivka and Yaakov? The dishonesty of the snake was a lie which, had, which was a total lie, totally false. It was a lie for the sake of a lie. It was a lie for to cause mistakes to happen. What was the purpose of the dishonesty of Rivka and Yaakov? To bring out the truth, to reveal the truth. What was the truth? The truth was that Yaakov deserved the blessings. Yaakov bought the firstborn right. So it wasn't dishonesty, it was dishonesty to reveal the truth. And there's something very profound about this. The Torah says that when um, God brought the flood to the world, so there was one creature that was afraid it was going to get destroyed, and it came to God, and, and it came to Noah. He asked Noah to let him into the boat. Who was this creature that needed help? Sheker, falsehood, lying. Falsehood, want to get on the boat. So Noah says, uh, well, we have a rule here. Everyone on the boat has to come with a spouse. We don't allow anyone on the boat without a spouse. Who is your spouse? So he had to find the spouse. Um, so the Torah says that he found the spouse. Who is the spouse of, of dishonesty? The spouse, he found, he found um, kiloyon, he found um, misfortune, misfortune. So lying, dishonesty, found misfortune as his mate. Comes to Noach and says, okay, that's a good deal, but misfortune said to, to um, dishonesty, you want me to connect with you, you want me to stay married to you, what will I gain from this? So dishonesty said to um, misfortune, Whatever I gain, whatever, whatever I gain through lying, I will give to you misfortune. Whatever is gained through misfortune is destroyed. It, it, whatever is gained through lying is destroyed by misfortune. And that's why when they came out of the, out of the, out of the boat, that remains the way it is till today, that whatever you gain through being dishonest, it's lost eventually by misfortune. That's what the story is, but there's depth to the story. What is the purpose of the boat? The purpose of the boat of Noah is to bring things to the world that, that will contribute to the world, that will help the world, that will give to the world. What does lying and deceit have to give to the world? The purpose of, of deceit is exposure. The purpose of deceit is to expose the, the, the valuelessness, the, the denigrity of deceit. So therefore deceit says, I tell you what I'll gain, what I'll gain by uh, being on your boat. Noah, I do have a partner. I will bring misfortune with me and I'll expose the, the, the emptiness of deceit. How deceit always brings, brings to misfortune. That if you lie, things don't work out for you. 
That's the story. And the Torah actually says that um, the word sheker, the word for lie, has three letters, shin kufresh, and each of these letters ends in a point, ends in a, one leg. A shin ends in a point, all three legs end in a, in a, in a and it can't, it can't stand. A kuf has one leg, it can't stand. The resh has one leg, it can't stand. In order to, lies don't last, lies don't work. However, the Baal Shem Tov said that there's something we're supposed to learn from this. Hashem did preserve trickery, Hashem did preserve lies. There's something that we're supposed to gain from, from the creation of, of dishonesty and deceit. And something we're supposed to learn from the story of Yaakov and how he got the blessings. And that is that sometimes in order to get a blessing, you need to use things which aren't all, totally altruistic. Let's begin by saying this. Torah says that you should always do Torah mitzvahs for the wrong reasons, because eventually you'll do them for the right reasons. Even though you may not be so altruistic, you may have some selfish motives for why you're doing what you're doing, but, but you should do it anyways. Why? Because eventually you do it for the right reasons. That's what the Torah says. Hasidus says, don't wait. Don't wait until you have altruistic reasons. Hasidus says, Within your selfish motive, within your heart, that you are thinking in your consciousness is about the selfish motive, there is something there that is totally altruistic, that is, that is totally pure, that is totally holy. Let yourself feel the voice of your neshama, of your soul, in what you do. Don't, don't um, relegate your soul to irrelevance and, 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 and don't silence your soul. Let your soul talk. Your soul is your soul is you. Let your soul talk. So within your selfish motive, there is also a selfless motive. The wise men of Helm heard that there is a new invention, there's a steam engine, and they didn't believe it, and they came to Moscow to investigate. They come to, the, to Moscow, and they examine the steam engine, and they look looking for a horse, and they can't find a horse. They knew that it's... It's impossible for a train to move without a horse, but they look through the whole entire engine, the whole entire train. There is no, there's no horse. So wise men of Chelm gather together. They were, they were a respectable delegation from the city of Chelm to, find, to, to come back to the city of Chelm and to report. And so they had to, before they returned, they, were, they decided to wait for 1 o'clock p.m. when the train was supposed to leave. But they, they had a conference before, and they decided that there's no way this train is going to move it's all a hoax from the, from the people of the big city of Moscow, and they put out this false rumor. It's impossible. But sure enough, one o'clock comes, and the train moves, and the, bell wi- and the whistle goes, and the train is moving, and they run after the train, and the train is amazing. It, it goes so quickly, and they, and they have another conference, and they come to the following conclusion. A train cannot move without a horse. What's going on? There's a tiny little invisible horse, and that little invisible horse is pulling, is pulling the big train. In a similar way, um, there is a, there is altruism, selflessness, which is in the realm of the soul. The soul is is selfless, but the Baal Shem Tev says you shouldn't rely on selflessness. When the evil inclination encounters selflessness, he cause he he could stop that that easily. If there's something which has nothing, that's that's not hundred that's not false. It, it's, it's, if it's totally pure, it could easily be derailed. You have to have something, you have to have a little horse in there as well. You have to have something in there which is not completely self, self, selfless. So, in other words, the, 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 in the language of the Gemara, have a orum be wise with your fear of Hashem. 
don't try to be so altruistic and and um, do things so purely and without finding something that's fun for you and what you're doing. Try to make the mitzvahs and the Torah fun for you. That's why the, the, the Talmud, when it says various characteristics that we should, we should strive to be, the Talmud says, who is mighty? He who conquers the evil inclination. It doesn't say he who breaks the evil inclination. It says he who conquers the evil inclination. What's the difference? Conquering means that the person still exists, he hasn't been broken, and you've just taken him and you've harnessed him and you're now using his force for good. So there is a selfish part of us, but the the wisdom of the Baal Shem Tev is, is that you can't ignore that part of you. It's like the, the way the Baal Shem Tev explains the reason why it's a mitzvah to eat on the holidays. It's a mitzvah to eat on the holidays. It's a mitzvah to eat food. It's a holiday for God. There's an argument in the Talmud, well, why should you eat in the Talmud, eat on the holiday, because it's supposed to be a holiday for Hashem, why should you even eat? And the Talmud comes to the conclusion, well, it's half for God, half for you. Baal Shem Tev explains the depth of this. Baal Shem Tev is a following parable. There was a, a, a boy who was sent, who was, he was a prince, he was sent by his father, the king, to this far-off island, and he one day gets a letter from his father. And no one in the island knows anything about the king and the prince and the kingdom, and he wants to celebrate. But how is he supposed to celebrate when no one knows about the king? So he goes into a bar, and he screams, Happy hour, and it's all on me! So everyone's excited, they have something, they have something to drink, it's exciting, and they, and they all are celebrating, why are they celebrating? They're celebrating because they have free drinks. But now he could celebrate. Because there's a happy environment around him. So in a similar way, the Baal Shem Tov said, if we didn't have our, a, a, a festive meal on the holiday, we wouldn't be able to celebrate because our body wouldn't be able to celebrate. And in a similar way, when Mashiach comes, the evil inclination will be subsumed in the good inclination. It's also going to be a positive force. But if before Mashiach comes, we have to find a way to make a mitzvah, make Torah, something that's enjoyable, something that's, 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 that you benefit from, you feel, I enjoy this, this is good for me. Not just it's good for Hashem, but find a way that it's good for you. And if it's totally altruistic, that's what we see from the story of Yaakov and, and, the, and the trick they did to get the blessings. Sometimes there is a, a need to, um, not just sometimes, but there is a need to have, as the previous ever told my grandfather, whatever you do, do with fargeting, do with pleasure. It should be, it should be enjoyable. It shouldn't just be something that is totally altruistic and because Hashem said, said so and there's nothing, and you don't see yourself in this activity at all, you're just you're white-knuckling it to get it done. Find your, your connection to the mitzvah. Just like if you were to meet someone who was not religious at all and you wanted to con- convey to them the beauty of Shabbos, what would you say to them? Oh, you know you should come to, you know why you should come to, to, to celebrate Shabbos? Because there's great chicken soup, there's great shalom. We all need the chicken soup, we all need the shalom. We all need to find a way to make, to make it fun for ourselves. So that our, our whole being is involved in the in the mitzvah, not just that our godly souls involved, but our animal souls involved as well. There was a, a man who so conclude with this. There was a man who came to the famous sacrament of Levi Yitzchak and he said to Levi Yitzchak "Whatever I do is not truthful. It's not real. It's not with the emes." Berditchev Rebbe said, I, 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 I'm, "I'm sorry." The man said, "And even this, that I'm telling you that I'm not being honest. I'm not even sincere about this." And even if they're telling me that I'm not sincere, that I, they're not sincere, that I'm not sincere, that's also not sincere. And he's kept on going on and on. And this is also not really sincere. This is also not really sincere. And now what happened in the end? And then he fainted. And the one version of the story is that the Bidisha Rebbe said that also wasn't so sincere. <laughs> you know, he fainted. See, but, but 
We don't, we're not blessed to be, until Mashiach comes, to have absolute truth. And because we don't, have absolute, we don't have absolute truth, we have to find our niche and our connection to our Judaism in a way that we find a personal interest in. We have to make, it, we have to make a connection to, to the activities that we do and set ourselves up for success. Okay, I'll tell you one more story, last story. I just heard the story last week when I was by the conference of Chabad rabbis in New York. Unbelievable story. Rabbi Groner, all of a shalom, was Rebbe's personal secretary, and he was in the Rebbe's office in 1961, and the Rebbe suddenly said to him, are you planning to go to the country, to the Catskills, for the weekend? His family was in the Catskills for the weekend, but he had, had spoken to his wife, Rebbe Singroner, and they decided that he should stay in Brooklyn to be there in Brooklyn to help the Rebbe uh, on Shabbos. He shouldn't come to the Catskills. Okay, that was the agreement. But here the Rebbe was asking, are you going to the Catskills? So he said, no. The Rebbe said, but why? There's no reason according to Jewish law. There's no reason according to the teachings of Hasidus. There's no reason whatsoever that you shouldn't go to the Catskills to be with your family for, for Shabbos. And the Rebbe continued, perhaps you're concerned that after Shabbat, which was the ninth of Av, when we recite the Kinnis prayers, maybe you're concerned it'll be hard to say the Kinnis, will it be hard to say the Kinnis, will it be so hard to say the Kinnis, in the Catskills. Right, Groner got the hint, and he right away took off to the Catskills for Shabbos. When he gets to the Catskills, his wife is ecstatic. Her birthday is, was in a few days, and she was really wanted, although she told her husband that it was okay for him to go for Shabbos, that's not what she really wanted. Deep down, she wanted her husband to be there for Shabbos. And she, and she, just, she thought it would be too hard for her to take care of her children um, that Shabbos. And what happened was this. She wrote the letter to the Rebbe, and she wrote to the Rebbe that she thinks that the Rebbe knew with divine inspiration that she really wanted her husband home, and that's why he sent him home. And she wants to thank the Rebbe for his sensitivity and for his knowledge and for sending her husband home. So the Rebbe responded. She wrote, I prayed very hard all Thursday night with joy and with trust that my husband would come home, and I appreciate you sending him home. The Rebbe underlined the words, how she prayed with joy and especially with with sincerity, uh, with trust and especially with joy. And the Rebbe said, you see how prayer, you see how prayer with trust in Hashem and with joy has an impact. That's the bottom line. So we have to uh, realize that the Ebershah for sure wants sincerity. Hashem is the truth of truth. He wants our sincerity. He wants a truth from our heart. And at the same time, we learn from the story that you have to, you can't ignore the Asa part of yourself, the animalistic part of yourself, and you have to find a way to make it relevant to you, that you are fully engaged in the mitzvahs that you do until Mashiach comes. It's not just that there'll be a light of Hashem coming from the sky. The world will be a place for Hashem. We're going to feel our humanity, our humanness, how that's holy, how that's godly. We're going to feel godliness in our selfishness, in our humanness, there's going to be a f- perfect bond between the godly soul and the animal soul, so that our animal soul will be a vessel for the godly spirit of the neshama. Abish help us. We should uh, connect to this and connect to the Abish there and connect to each other and should see Mashiach happen, come immediately. Amen. Any questions or comments?